if you're at the AGM or if you've been at most of our services recently, we've been talking about our mission statement as a church. Uh, I've put this slide up a few times. We're here to make disciples as disciples. And we do that by worshipping God as family, telling the gospel and doing good. And if we go to that third point, telling the gospel, that is a real key part of what we want to be doing here as a church in this town. We want to share the good news of Jesus. And I've been using the language of being an ambassador. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says this in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Anyone here who is following Jesus is Christ's ambassador. We, there's somewhere that we represent him uh, to, to people who do not believe, whether it's at work or at home with our family, maybe our friends, our neighbours, even going to the shops, somewhere we're called to be his ambassador. And which means it's really important how we live, what we say, how we show people Jesus. But it's not always easy, is it? In fact, quite often I think we can be quite reluctant. Perhaps we end up thinking, I'm just not qualified enough. Or maybe, you know, there's other people who can just so, much, so clearly do it better than me. Maybe you end up thinking, well, I'm not very good at speaking. I, I never know quite what to say. Maybe you just end up thinking, send someone else, Lord. Send someone else. Well, this is, this is really what we're going to see in this chapter. Uh, Moses has a similar reaction uh, in chapter 4 of Exodus. If you hear last week in chapter 3, um, God called Moses, uh, revealed himself in the non-burning bush that, that didn't burn up, uh, and gave Moses a task to go to Pharaoh, to, 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 to go on his behalf to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of that place of slavery and despair. Uh, and Moses initially says, who am I? Who am I to do such a thing? Asking with humility. And God gives him his name, the great I am, and says, I will be with you. There's nothing to fear. But actually what we're going to see in chapter 4 is there's, there's something going on in Moses' heart. There's just this reluctance really to, to, to trust God and to go and, and do what he says. Uh, but God is gracious, we'll see that as we go through, and we'll see that actually there's a lot to help us with today as well. So we're going to look through in four parts and think about uh, how God helps us uh, uh, and how God helped Moses. Here's my first heading. God provides signs and wonders. Look at verse 1 again with me. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Moses has been gone from Egypt a long time. Uh, he's been you know, living, living away, and frankly, he left under a bit of a cloud, murdering the Egyptian, uh, kind of facing the scorn of his own people. I'm sure he was thinking, why would they listen to me if I went back there? Even though God has actually reassured him in, chapter, in verse 18 of chapter 3, saying they will listen. But he's not sure that they will. He doesn't know, you know, what, what power has he got to kind of represent God Moses is thinking he gives so God gives three signs to Moses to, to help show the people uh, who, who he's speaking on behalf of in verses 2 to 4 we have uh, this, this amazing moment where he's got his shepherd's staff he would have that as a shepherd looking after the sheep he throws it down 
and it becomes a snake. I can you imagine that moment? I would have done exactly what he did and run away. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near it. But he reaches out uh, and grabs the tail. It becomes a staff again. Uh, and it says in verse 5, chapter 4, it says, This is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. It's showing God is with Moses. And it's really quite striking symbolism. The, the rod was a sign of authority uh, in Egypt. So you go to the British Museum, you look at some of the hieroglyphics and the, the kind of uh, Egyptian displays, you see this, there's rods there. It's this sign of authority. And for that to turn into a snake, well, look at, look at Pharaoh's crown. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, the sort of typical headdress you think of when we think of Pharaoh. It's got two snakes sticking out of the top like this. Snakes were really important uh, in Egyptian culture, a sign of power. And here's God saying, look, actually, I'm in control here. You don't need to fear the power of Egypt. God's the one uh, who will be with his people, who will be with Moses. They've got nothing to fear from those who look like they've got all the power. Then in verses 6 and 7, there's this healing. He puts his hand in his cloak and it comes out with this awful skin disease. And he puts it back in again and it's healed. That would have been that's amazing whenever it happened today, thousands of years ago. This picture of great control over the natural world. God does this restoration and this healing. But actually it's also a sign of judgment. If you look at other places in scripture where people reject God, sometimes they end up with skin diseases as a consequence. So in one sense, as Moses shows the people, it's like saying, look, this is a threat. This is what happens to people who turn away from God. It shows God's power and control. It shows that he genuinely is the Lord. And actually think about the the other idols that are are worshipped in Egypt. It's showing that there's a big difference there in who, who has the power. If God's people come and trust him and follow Moses, they will be freed and they will be clean. They will be healed. Uh, later on in Exodus, you get to the, 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 the tabernacle and the, the sacrificial system uh, of forgiveness. That's what happens when you trust in God. But then verse 9, if there's, if there's any doubt, God says, take some water from the Nile, pour it out, and it turns to blood. It will turn to blood. Now notice this one's slightly different. It doesn't change back. It stays as blood. Uh, and th- that's significant, actually. Um, Egypt's lifeline, the kind of thing that brought all the prosperity, all of the, 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 their life, essentially, is that river, is the Nile. It was the, how they traded. It's where they got their water from. It was really important uh, for their survival. And here's God showing his power over Egypt, kind of indicating that judgment is coming and showing the Israelites that their faith in him will not be in vain. So these three signs that lead God's people to trust Moses. Hopefully reassuring. Because we see this proof that God is God, that he is who he says he is. That he will do what he says he will do. And hopefully we see actually there's there's great parallels here for the comfort that we can have in our own situation. We're not called to lead a nation like Moses was. We're part of God's nation, from all, all nations, as God's people. And because of that, we're called to show and tell Jesus as his ambassadors. But will people pay attention? Maybe we think, how does God work today? Well, I believe God does work today. 
Uh, I believe he does use signs and wonders today, supernatural ways of revealing himself. I met a Christian uh, a few years back now who had been uh, a Muslim imam in Africa, leading a mosque. And one day he'd been in the mosque and suddenly this loud booming voice shattered all of the windows and said, go and find Jesus. And he was training in, in uh, England. He's at Bible College. Uh, after that amazing kind of moment, this, this wonderful sign. So God can work through signs and wonders. We praise God when he works in those ways. But at the same time, I think that he's, he's already given us the ultimate sign and wonder. And the, that is the usual way that he speaks and works today. Have a look at Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. You see, God has given this ultimate sign. The final sign is sending his son. He is the one who who speaks to us, who the spirit comes and works in our hearts because Jesus died and because Jesus rose again. He came to earth. He did amazing miracles and signs and wonders to show us who he was. And he gave up his life on the cross. Think about the symbolism there, that the curtain being torn in two from top to bottom. That the sign of forgiveness, sign that there is now access to the Father. And the sign of the empty tomb. He is risen, he is alive. He is victorious. He has authority. He is the Lord of all. So ultimately, what do we do? We point people to Jesus, the truth of who Jesus is, the the importance of what he has done. That is the most important thing that we have, the most important sign and wonder that we want to show people. Maybe sometimes you think, well, is it enough? Surely people want more, don't they? And it was true in the the days of the New Testament. This is what Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, it looks like a weak message, doesn't it? It looks like a foolish message, but for those who are being saved, those who God calls, it is wisdom and power of knowing the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, we have confidence that that people will come to know him. Not everyone will respond. The Bible talks about people who are spiritually blind. But we do trust the Spirit will work in our weakness. But he, he's the one who convicts. He's the one who, who bring, helps people see the wonderful truth of the gospel. So we want to go trusting that that is how God works today. Second thing we see in the chapter, God helps us speak. God helps us speak. I don't know if you've ever heard of glossophobia. Anyone heard of glossophobia? It's the fear of public speaking. Uh, And there was one study uh, in the States that said they estimated 75% of the population of the States had some form of kind of public speaking anxiety to some level or another. My best man uh, is one who falls into that category at our wedding. He said, you must have the speeches before the food because otherwise I'm not going to be able to eat anything. I'll be too nervous uh, to eat. And maybe that feels familiar for you as well. Maybe that is something that, that, that sort of kind of makes your palms all sweaty and, and makes you nervous. Um, 
Maybe that's a, a familiar feeling. And actually, that's what Moses seems to talk about next. Look at verse 10. He says to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. He's respectful. He's saying, Pardon your servant, Lord. But he kind of, he's saying, Look, there's something here. There's some sort of hesitancy, some sort of doubt in his own ability here. He's never been eloquent. It, literally, it's kind of like his speech is heavy. It's hard to get the words out. Maybe he's lacking, just lacking confidence. Maybe he's feeling nervous about his, how rusty his Egyptian has got over the years he's been away. Either way, he, he thinks it's really hard uh, for me to speak to other people. I, I don't know about you, but that definitely, I feel that feel Moses' pain there. Uh, I feel my own rustiness sometimes when I, when I speak with, with people who are not Christians and trying to explain something and it doesn't come out right or whatever else. You just, it's hard. It is really hard. And we're aware, aren't we, of our own weaknesses, our own failings. Just like Moses, we probably think, well, why would God want us to speak for him? Surely there's someone better. We'll look at Moses' response in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord's? Isn't that a wonderful moment? Who gives you your mouth? Who has given us the ability to speak? It's it's God. He created us. And he's in control. And it's almost as if God's saying, look, why are you bringing this up? If I'm sending you, I'm going to give you what you need to do that. You don't need to fear I'll help you to speak. I'll guide you in what you have to say. There's no, no excuses there. You can trust me. I think it's just, it's interesting that the contrast, Moses is saying, I am, you know, I, I can't do this. I am inadequate. And then God says, no, I am. I created you. I will help you. It's the great I am goes with you. You don't need to fear. I think it reveals something perhaps of Moses' heart. Maybe there's just a sense that he's got too much riding on himself, riding on his own abilities. And he needs to see that God is sending him in weakness, not in strength. That's that's often how he works. God is the one who cares about his people far more than Moses ever could. And he is fully capable of bringing about all that he's promised in delivering his people. Moses is just the messenger. It's up to God to do the delivering. That's hopefully helpful for us to consider too, isn't it? How often do we end up thinking, well, I'm just not adequate. I don't know what to say. I don't know how you should do it. Please send someone else, Lord. Is it because somewhere in our heads, maybe we're thinking that it's more up to us than than trusting God to work? Are we trusting ourselves? I like this picture on the screen there of the Bible on this solid rock ground. That's a great picture, isn't it? That we go because God is the one with the strength. We rely on him. God made us. God says he will help us. We go trust in him. There's a a verse in Matthew 10. Jesus says, When they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. For at that time you'll be given what to say. It will not be you speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus is saying that at that moment, the spirit will help you know what to say. And that's great comfort, isn't it? That's not an excuse to never think and never sort of prepare. It says, one, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
it's good to consider. It's good to, to think about the reasons we have to prepare for that. But it's really good to trust the Spirit in the moment when we need to share God's truth with other people. So let me encourage you to, to, to do that. Remembering your weakness, to go trusting God's strength. Remember that he can use us as we talk about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. This is a really important thing to consider. I thought it would be just good to take maybe two or three minutes now to discuss with those around you. You may want to stay in family groups, that's fine, depending on uh, just where you are um, and with the COVID situation. But a couple of discussion questions uh, just to think about. What situations leave you feeling like Moses, leave you feeling nervous? And then how does this passage encourage us to approach those situations? So just spend two, two three minutes chatting amongst yourselves quickly just to... to Uh, think about how we apply this. Go ahead. Let's come back together, shall we? I hope that was just an encouraging just to think about it carefully for your own situation, situations you find yourself struggling, but actually remembering that God is with you in those moments and he does help us to speak. Uh, Let's keep going into the passage. Uh, My next heading is this. God sends us but not alone. God sends us, but not alone. Go, have a look at verse 13. This is where Moses gets really, really reluctant. Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. <laughs> there's no, there's no, you know, no more excuses. Just bluntly saying, oh, please, just please send someone else, Lord. And God's been so clear, hasn't he? That, that Moses' fears are, are inconsequential because of who God is. Despite the signs he's given, the, the promise that he will... That, that God is the one who's given Moses his mouth he just doesn't want to do it send someone else is that something that you've said to God perhaps just no I don't want to talk to my family about you I don't want to stick my, my neck out at work by sharing what I believe I don't want to sacrificially love those around me just don't want to do it Lord send someone else God's reaction is quite powerful here verse 14 the Lord's anger burned against Moses that's challenging, isn't it? This, this reluctance to obey and God's anger burns. We are called to go and make disciples. If we're believers here, that's not an option for us. That's what we're commanded to do. And it will look different for each one of us. We, we're gifted in different ways. But we are called to do it. And that's just, God's reaction here is quite a serious thing. Fortunately, he's not burnt to a crisp. He is, in fact, actually God shows him great grace here. Uh, as I was studying, one, one translation suggested that actually it might, might be better to phrase it as, even though the Lord's anger burned against Moses, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? He, he gives Moses this partnership. Aaron is actually on his way already to, to meet Moses. How, how's that for God's sovereignty at work? You've got Moses the prophet, and Aaron will be his kind of mouth, be the one who speaks to the people, speaking God's words. What a great comfort that would have been for Moses to have someone, to, someone with him, to know that he wasn't doing this on his own. And we see it works effectively. God sends Moses off. Don't forget your staff, Moses. Take this staff, verse 17. You're no longer a shepherd, but actually you're going to need this staff. This is going to be a sign uh, of my power with you. And if you scan through the second half of the chapter, you see it that it works. He leaves Midian. He meets his brother Aaron. And they gather the elders of the people together. And they pass on the message. And it's really encouraging. Do you see what happens? Verse 31. 
and they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Isn't that wonderful to see? They, they realised that God was with them. He hadn't forgotten them. They worshipped him. Exactly what our response needs to be too. So he sends us. God sends us. There's no way from getting away from that, but he does not send us alone. Sometimes it might feel quite lonely to be an ambassador for Jesus, but he promises to be with us by his spirit. He goes with you wherever you are. Just let that sink in. You're never alone if you're trusting Jesus. And he will give you that confidence. And he also gives us each other as a church family. We support each other. We pray for each other. We, whenever we come together, we want to encourage each other to keep looking for, to Jesus. We keep remembering the truth of the gospel. Keep remembering all that he's done for us. And he sends us to, to show that same love to other people. It's good, isn't it, when we realise and we can encourage each other. I hope that we'll be able to share some testimonies as we go through the year of people stepping up as Christ's ambassadors, of, of, of encouraging stories that we can pray for people. I hope you're encouraged that we do this together. We trust God's power together. One final thing to say. That's God's commands must be taken seriously. God's commands must be taken seriously. Uh, We saw this earlier. God's anger burning against Moses. But actually we see it very clearly in two ways. in, In verses 21 through to 26. Look at verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh... All the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, Let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. This is a really powerful moment. Really important to see these verses, verse 20 in particular. God calls Israel his firstborn son. The God of the universe says, this is, this is uh, my people. This is like my firstborn son. This is my care for them. He is committed. He shows his compassion and his patience and his mercy and his concern for his people. And he warns those who persecute God's people. Pharaoh has done great harm to the Israelites. And now he will be facing that same pain as God brings his justice to the situation. He's pointing forward to the, the final terrible plague, the death of the firstborn. We'll get to that in later weeks. But you see, what this reminds us why it's important to take God's commands, because actually, for God, persecuting his people is like persecuting him. We see it in the New Testament. Saul, before he was the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus and, and Jesus appears in bright light and says, why do you persecute me? He'd been persecuting Christians. Why do you persecute me, Jesus says. God takes it personally when we are persecuted. No one will escape God's justice. They, need to, they needed to take God's command seriously. And if they are ignoring God's commands, they will, they will face justice. And that, that's hope for us. If we have suffered for our faith, It might be differing levels depending on our situations. There's hope and comfort knowing that God is just, but there's a warning here for people who refuse to listen. And if you're not a believer, do you see there's great seriousness to listening to what God has to say? 
And then we have these really weird verses, verse 24 to 26. Read them again because they are a bit strange. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Now these are very strange verses, like I've said. There's a lot written about them. I was very tempted to just ignore them completely. Uh, But I I think, actually, if you see, if we look at the core, there is something fairly clear going on here. There seems to be an issue with the fact that Moses' son had not been circumcised. Uh, And it's, you know, Moses is facing death because, in some sense, he has not followed God's commands. Moses was to be God's representative. He was to be God's ambassador to Egypt. It was really important that he followed God's commands, especially the sign of that covenant promise uh, that, that God had made all the way back with Abraham, his ancestor. It's really serious that Moses had not circumcised his son. And fortunately, uh, Zipporah, his wife, was able to, to do that at that moment. But it, it, do you see, there's, there's something here for us too. We need to take God's command seriously. We're called to obey in response to what God's done for us. Never to impress God, but as a way of saying thank you. It doesn't go well when we neglect what he tells us to do. So we need to take his command to go and make disciples. We need to take that seriously. Not treat it as an optional extra just for the, the kind of really keen people at church. It also, talks, it also shows us the importance of baptism. Uh, it's a covenant sign that we have today, uh, recognizing that we are, we are part of God's people. If we're trusting him, if, we, if we've become a Christian, baptism is, is a step of just declaring our faith. So let me encourage you, if, you, if, if, you're, if that's something you're, you're pondering, you're thinking about yourself, we're hoping to do some baptism soon, so come and speak to me. Uh, I'm happy to talk to you more about that. But maybe this, this point kind of leaves you thinking, well, what hope have I got? I'm not perfect, I'm always getting it wrong, and often I get it wrong as his ambassador. When we lose our temper at work, when we are selfish towards our non-believing family, when we don't care for those around us like we should. So often our sin gets in the way, doesn't it, of us being ambassadors. And in one sense, that's kind of the point. We are not perfect, we cannot be perfect. That's why we have to trust Jesus. That's why we point people to the Lord Jesus, because he is the one who is perfect. When we take his command seriously, that includes the command of repenting, of coming to him in faith, trusting him alone to save us. He died in our place to take all of our sin, all of our shame away completely. And so that's what we need to remember. That's We go as ambassadors, not perfect, but, but trusting in God's grace. That's what we seek to show. We, we are quick to repent, quick to, to admit our faults, perhaps, and ready to say, I'm just so thankful that even though I get it wrong, there is someone who loved me and died to save me and gave me new life. What amazing news that is to share with people. God's faithfulness is unfailing, and he does forgive us when we sin and when we get it wrong. He calls us to keep going, to, to keep stepping out, to keep telling the gospel. Let me encourage you to, to, to do that. I don't know how you're feeling about how God, about God calling you as an ambassador today. How are you feeling about that call to go and tell the good news? 
Maybe you can empathise with Moses. You're feeling afraid or fearful, hesitant. Maybe you're feeling excited that actually God could use you, even this week, to share the gospel. Maybe you're feeling guilty that you have been reluctant in the past or you've said no to God. Let me encourage you, however you're feeling, to come back to the cross, to remember again the cost that has been paid for you, for, on your behalf, and just stand amazed at the grace, the love that's been shown to you. You can trust him. He will enable you to be his ambassador. You're never alone. I hope it's good for you to remember that this afternoon. Shall we pray that we will be his faithful ambassadors, trusting his strength? Let's pray. Father, there is lots in this chapter, but, but thank you for how it encourages us to trust you as we want to go and tell other people the good news. Lord, there are many people in Kenilworth, even further afield, our family, friends, people that we know, people in Leicester, Lord, this week who are going to hear the gospel. And we'd love, Lord, for, for you to use us. Help us to be faithful ambassadors, pointing to you, trusting your strength, doing it in weakness, but grateful that you do promise to work through us. Please do that, Lord. Please be at work, we pray. Amen.